Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Bruce takes to the ice to talk to former hockey star Jerry Rollins, who turned his playing career into a successful business career and wrote a book about it called Enforcer to Entrepreneur, Achieving Hockey Stick Growth in Life, Business and Sports. In the second half, activist and real estate entrepreneur Laz Ayala joins Bruce to slam the immigration system in the United States. Ayala wrote the book Illegal, One Immigrant's Life or Death Journey to the American Dream, which has been turned into a documentary. And this is Bruce Cook, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the Bruce Cook Conversation. And tonight on Angels Radio and on your favorite podcast station, we've got a lot to talk about. In our hour together, the second half hour, I'm going to start by plugging that. We're welcoming back a gentleman named Laws Ayala. He's coming to us from Portland, Oregon area. Laws is a Salvadorian immigrant. He came to the he came to the United States as an undocumented many years ago, and he built a life here in America. He built a very successful life, actually, and he's going to come on the broadcast in our second half hour, and he's going to tell us what he thinks is really going on with the immigration situation in our country. And to be frank and to be very blunt, Mr. Ayala is going to tell us on radio tonight that all of the talk and all of the ideas being presented by our politicians, both Republican and Democrat, including President-elect Biden, to quote Ayala, regarding immigration, is pure BS. You're going to want to stay tuned to hear why Mr. Ayala says that. But up first, we are going to talk about sports, ladies and gentlemen. It is Angels Radio after all. And tonight we have a very special guest coming on air from San Diego, California. He is former NF NHL and uh, other, other accolades soccer player. Soccer player? I'm losing my mind. How about hockey player? Canadian Jerry Rollins is going to be on the phone tonight. I guess I'm too excited and I'm forgetting who I'm talking to. At any rate, Mr. Rollins is the son of Al Rollins, who many of you people who are hockey fans know well. He was a very well-known player and a coach. Jerry, his career was 1975 to 1979, ladies and gentlemen. And during those four years, he was with the Toronto Excuse me, the Toronto Toros, the Birmingham Bulls, Phoenix Roadrunners, Indianapolis Racers. And he took that experience in sports growing up and playing professionally, and he turned it into a business career. We're going to talk about the values and the ethics learned from youth to adulthood, how they've changed, what they mean, especially in this time of pandemic and what's going on in the world of sports when Jerry Rollins joins us now. Jerry, are you there? 
Yes, I am, Bruce. Thanks for the introduction. Forgive me for calling you a soccer player. I don't know well, what I'm... You know what? I think uh, I'm on something. popular down here, so, uh, you know, I'd rather be a soccer player than a hockey player. <laughs> well, what does that mean? <laughs> you can't do you that know, to me. Growing up in Canada, uh, that was our sport. You know, there was no football up there. It was all soccer, hockey, and baseball. So, All right. Let's start at the beginning. Your bio says that... You didn't go to college, is that correct? Um, you know, Bruce, very honestly, I didn't go to high school very often. That's not in the bio, Jerry. <laughs> this is the truth. So. This is going to be a psychological expose tonight. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm sure I'm a case study in many universities, but uh, you know, I was a good student, Bruce, and a you know, and a, and a good athlete. I don't want to say great. You know, we all think we were great but I, I was a good athlete growing up of course growing up with in my family my father played in the NHL but he also was good at just about every other sport uh, you know as he was growing up could have played many different professional sports and my sister and brother were both amazing athletes too my sister was a collegiate volleyball player won a national championship in Canada and my brother uh, let's just say I was the third best hockey player in our family well that's so, pretty good yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was always interested more, you know, I was a good student, but school bored me. And I had a couple jobs when I was a teenager, and I found that I could make money if I left school early every day. And so I did that quite often until I got discovered by my principal and coach and my mother and at age 17, they sat me down and had a talk to me because I still had good grades. I just happened to have missed about 100 days of school the year before. They were too happy about that. You grew up in British Columbia, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So while my dad was playing hockey, that was always this, you know, the summer home. So he played in Chicago, Toronto, and New York. But we always ended up back in uh, British Columbia, Vancouver area, and uh after his playing career, we had a, a, a number of years in Calgary where he started coaching collegiate hockey. So, but, yeah, my would you, teen years were in would you say though? Would you say it's fair that you didn't have any choice in your life what you're going to do? Um, I mean, did you ever want to do anything else besides be a hockey player at that point in your life? I never wanted to be a hockey player. Now, wait a minute. So, now I'm really confused. <laughs> <laughs> so, so... I was always pretty good at it, but I didn't work at it. I was, uh, you know, as I say, a good athlete, good baseball player, just about any sport I could play. All right, wait a minute. So if you didn't want to play hockey, but you were okay at it, you were good at it, what did you want to do? Um, you know, I wanted to be a Mountie. I wanted to be in the RCMP. <laughs> now you're so going to take me dream. into a whole different show. I know. How are we going to talk yeah. about sports, sports ethics, yeah. and raising kids in sports, and what's going on? If you wanted to be a Mountie, well, that's yeah. the police show. Yep. But uh, you know, so at seventeen, I had a crossroads. So you know, I I played organized hockey, and I was always playing a couple years ahead of myself. So when I was sixteen, I was playing with the twenty-year-olds, and and I was a big kid and tough kid, and I was I faced a crossroads in my. Uh, high school principal, my mother, and my uncle, who were named after, sat me down and said, you've either got to focus on school and not do the work or go to work full-time and no school and no sports, or 
I'd been drafted to play hockey in junior hockey in Canada. So I guess somebody recognized I was okay. And so I took door number three. And that's how I ended up becoming a hockey player. Okay, what did Dad say? Um, you know, Dad never pushed me in any direction at all, ever. So he was, you know, do what you want. But, you know, my dad dropped out of school at age 15 to go away and, you know, play for the New York Rangers farm team. So, you know, it was kind of education, uh, I guess, for my father and myself just wasn't that important. And, you know, he ended up doing pretty well in hockey and sports and business. And so, yeah, I, I you know, he didn't, he didn't direct me. He really just let me find my own way. And so I went away to a place called Flin Flon, Manitoba to play junior hockey, which at the time was one of the top junior hockey teams in Canada. So that was a good place to start. Yeah, yeah. And my first shift of hockey, I had a 10-game tryout. And in my first game, my first shift, I went behind the net in a place called Regina, Saskatchewan. And a big guy came at me and tried to hit me, and I knocked him down. And he got up, and we had a fight. And on the way to the bench, we had another fight. And then we got in another altercation, got thrown out of the game. And <clears throat> at the end of the period, the coach came in and said, kid, you just made the team. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, you know, you just fought the tough, toughest guy in hockey three times to a draw. He said, we need somebody like you. So, so what, what did that teach you right then and there? Well, Obviously you were shocked. I should, I should not start my first fight with a guy by the name who ended up in the Hall of Fame and one of the top five toughest guys ever. His name was Clark Gillies. Okay. So if I'd known who he was and how tough he was, I probably wouldn't have done that. But what I did learn in, in hockey is, you know, facing your fear, you know, backing into a hockey career and then becoming an enforcer where, you know, every night you might end up out in a fight is pretty um, psychologically challenging, to say the least. Well, that's a perfect segue for me, Jerry, because... Enforcer to Entrepreneur is the title of your book. So talk about that. Talk about, let's go fast forward. Obviously, you have a great deal more career stories, and we'll try and hit uh -huh. some of those. But sure. talk about that. What what lesson about facing your fear did you take to your business life? So, you know, being a top draft choice at age 20 and then basically the end of my career at 25 – I had to face some facts that, um, you know, I needed to approach things differently. Um, when I got to the, to the pros, you know, I made the big leagues my first year, but I quit doing what got me there, which, you know, I was always a hard worker. And I got to the major leagues and I quit working hard. I had, a, you know, fun. I wasn't crazy, but I had a lot of fun. And I was making a lot of money single in my first couple of years and, you know, enjoying myself probably a bit too much. So I, I quit working. So when I went into business, the first thing I did is I, I recognized that I hadn't had a lot of really good coaches in hockey. I'd had one or two through the years, but I wanted when I went into business to go to work for a company that had a great coach or leader. And I was lucky in my first job, I ended up finding a great mentor leader coach 
who really took a lot of young, talented, hardworking people under under their wing and training them and teaching them to be successful in business. Let me stop so, you. Let me stop you. Yep. Yep. I want to backtrack before we get more into that. Sure. In the early part of our conversation tonight, you said that perhaps you never really worked hard enough as a hockey player to become a, a major star. You uh-huh. just said it again. My question is, if you had found that motivation, if you had found that impetus in you to really push the envelope as a hockey player, would you have had a longer career? Would you have had major success beyond what you had? And does that bother you at all? It doesn't bother me because that the past is the past and I move on very quickly. But I recognize that what got me to the major leagues was applying myself and working my tail off to get there. But when I arrived, I thought that was the destination. And, you know, sports and business is not a destination. It's a journey. Absolutely. And so yeah. that's what I really learned is that I looked back and said, okay, you know, could I have played another three or four years? I still had two years on my contract when I left hockey. Okay. So let's move forward to what you were just saying. Your first job. Right. What kind of a company was it? How did you get that job? And what was this mentor? And what did he or she do for you? So his name was Pete, and it was a small, private business equipment company. But what I noticed is the culture, the the people that were there that were working there were all very successful, young professionals. Pete was a great leader. He cared about his people. The reason I got the job truthfully is pete was from chicago and he his he was a fan of my father's when my father played there so listen it was listen just whatever works it was happenstance i yeah. mean he shouldn't have hired me i walked in in a uh you know it was the 70s with um you know i had a pastel colored suit i had a mullet i had a fu manchu and I was walking into a conservative concert where everybody wore blue shirts and blue shirts, or uh, blue suits, white you know white shirts right. and, and red ties. Do you still have those and, clothes? Uh, no, I they're, don't. They're back in style, you know. <laughs> All of it. All of it is. <laughs> That's what I hear. All right. So, All right. Keep going. You know, great coach, and and so you know, luckily, I what I determined on that day. And it was really about 90 days into it. 90 days into it, I went into entry-level sales position. I was working my tail. I was outworking everybody. But success just wasn't jumping in my lap. And I remember going home and talking to my wife, Terry, and saying, you know, maybe I should go back because this was the summer. I could could have gone back and played hockey, and I'd been called to go up to Edmonton to play with these guys by the name of Gretzky and Messier. And I was considering it, and then I went, you know, I don't think that's the right thing. And my wife said, you know, if you do that, you'll be doing just like all the people who can't move on after sports. You'll be trying to hang on, and you might go to the minor leagues. And She said, just stick it out. So she really was my biggest booster. I reapplied myself, and within months started achieving great success and ended up becoming general manager of that company. We built it, we sold it, and then I moved on to do the same thing at many other companies. Okay, so you found that motivation that uh-huh. maybe you didn't find as a as a terrific hockey player. You found it in business. 
Where do you think yeah. that came from? Where, why you know, did that hard work inspire you to reach those heights? What was it? And you talk about the enforcer attitude. Explain this. So I think if if I had done hockey all over again, I would have fought half as much and played more and had a much longer career if I'd done that. Interesting. Very interesting. So when I went into business, I said, you know what? I'm not going to be an enforcer in business because enforcers don't have long careers. Goal scorers get paid the big bucks. So I went, anything I'm involved in in business, I'm going to have numbers after my name. I'm good at keeping score, right? So if I'm going to go into business, I'm going to go into sales, and then I'm going to go into sales leadership, and then I'm going to run companies, and I'm going to keep score of everything. And I'm going to hire people that have that same drive and focus and apply them to business. You know, I hired a lot of former high school and college athletes that, you know, wanted to apply themselves. Maybe they couldn't make it professionally, kind of like me. I did for a while. But, you know, I was not a star at any stretch of the imagination. But in business, I found my place, and I found that keeping score was fun. And if you scored a lot in business, you got paid a lot of money. Jerry, on that, we got to stop for our first break. I hate to yes, I hate to even interrupt you. This is getting so interesting. And I hope lots of people listening to this station and hopefully guys and gals that listen to the podcast are learning something from this. This is really really great. We're going to take that fast break, but we'll be right back. So hold that thought. It's Bruce Cook, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Cook Conversation, and we'll be right back. Angels Radio, AM 830. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this very well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and their families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, New Directions for Women has helped addicted women recover in a nationally recognized treatment facility in Costa Mesa. Their doors are wide open. It just takes the first step. Call New Directions for Women. The number is 888-786-0509. Again, 888-786-0509. You can also visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. New Directions for Women. They know recovery. For the ones standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I can't get out of bed. My stress is overwhelming. I feel helpless hopeless and can't sleep how do i help my child i need someone to hear me now who can i turn to 
NAMI Orange County's Warm Line offers free, safe emotional support and resources 24-7 that are available to you right now. To call, text, or chat, go to NAMIOC.org. That's N-A-M-I-O-C.org. Talking helps. Funded by Orange County Healthcare Behavioral Health Services, Preventions and Intervention, Mental Health Service Act, Prop 63. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this too well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, New Directions for Women have helped addicted women recover at our nationally recognized addiction treatment center in Costa Mesa. Our door is wide open. Take the first step. Call us at 888-786-0509 or visit us at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. Again, 888-786-0509. New Directions for Women. We know recovery. Angels Radio. AM 830. I'm Bruce Cook, and this is the Cook Conversation on Angels Radio tonight. And we're talking with Jerry Rollins, hockey player, business executive. I hope you're joining us. If you haven't tuned in thus far, get in here. we got a lot. A lot to talk about and a lot to learn from Jerry. He's talking about everything that he's accomplished in business as a result of his training in sports. Jerry, share with us a few of the major principles or ideas that you use now as a business executive that might help some of the people that might be listening tonight. Yeah, um, I think the thing I learned and I learned it both in hockey and in business, is pick great role models and mentors. And I think people would be amazed that you can reach out to just about anybody at any time. And those people that are super successful usually give back and help people out when they can. And so I think, you know, having great role models and mentors is um, I think for anybody starting in business or at any point in their career is important for, you know, growth. And when I say role models, I'm not just talking about success in business. To me, um, if you're successful in business, but you have five marriages and your kids hate you and your dog doesn't like you and you die of a heart attack at 48, that's not success to me. So success to me is, you know, is being, I guess it would be called well-rounded, having a successful um, marriage, relationship with your family, you know, staying fit both emotionally and mentally, physically, and um, making money is not a bad thing if you can do all of it and live to enjoy it. Well, you know, I think a lot of people would say hooray to that, but this has been a really rotten year for a lot of people, and it's been a really rotten year for the sports world and for sports fans and certainly for business people. How do you maintain all of that positivity 
in these times? You know, sometimes, Bruce, my wife counsels me and says, you know, you got to turn it down a bit. <laughs> and uh, right, rightfully so. So I am an extremely positive person. But what I will tell you is, I believe, I, I, you know, there's an old movie from my childhood called Pollyanna. And not many people would remember it, but it was a Disney movie. And it was about an eternal optimist, a young lady who was an eternal optimist. So I don't think I'm uh, an eternal optimist. I think what I understand is I choose to be positive on a daily basis. We all have bad things happen to us. And this has certainly been a challenging year for business, for families. You know, my heart goes out to the the, you know, the kids and the teenagers and the college athletes and the professional athletes as well and what they're facing. You know, I've got nieces and nephews who can't play the sports they want to play right now because they're all in lockdown, right? Right, and, and a lot of them are going a lot of them are going to have some second thoughts about career choices as a result of it. Opportunities will vanish. Time time will rob young people of opportunities in sports. And frankly also the business world is so rough right now, Jerry, for young people coming out of either high school or college or the military, wherever they're coming out of to try and get started. When it happened for you and I a few decades ago, it was a very different situation. I think we had it a lot easier. I would agree with you. Um, and, you know, it's interesting how generationally things flow. You know, I'm also kind of a student of history. I know when I was growing up, my parents talked about, you know, the Great Depression and their parents, you know, they were born during that era and, and grew up at the tail end of it. But I, I think, um, you know, what I've noticed is businesses are succeeding. Um, there are some industries that have been, just been wiped out, as you mentioned. But I think what I have noticed, if in the people that I keep, you know, observe, is I will tell you that I'm seeing families grow closer through this time, whether it's forced upon them. But, uh, you know, I see a lot of families, for example, in our neighborhood that I see, you know, mom and dad and the two kids with the dog out walking two, three times a day together. And, you know, probably mom and dad are working during the day and the kids are homeschooling. But I think it is, you know, bringing, I, I think there's some positives along with the negatives. But again, there yeah, I, I, go I would definitely, make, no, I would agree. I, I try to make something positive out of a bad thing. But no, I, I would agree. I tell you, most, a lot of businesses, I will tell you that there are a lot of job opportunities currently. Because things are because things are evolving and new opportunities are coming along as a result of all know, of this? They might be different jobs, but there's jobs. Okay. And, you know, I'll just give you one example of something I observed through this. So um, some people I know own restaurant, a lot of restaurants, sit-down restaurants, right? And God bless them, they had to lay four or 500 people off when this first lockdown came around back in March, April. Um, we immediately went out to our network and, you know, found jobs that paid the same or more. And 95% of the people wouldn't take those jobs. 
Really? Yeah. Because the commentary was, hey, I'm making more money staying at home because of the bonus program. There you go. So that's a, that's another show. Unfortunately, yeah, and you know, I'll just talk to you about my work ethic and what I learned from my mother and father. When I was a professional hockey player, you know, I was making a, a lot of money in the mid seventies. You know, a lot more than people going to work were making, right? But every summer, I went and got a job. And one summer, I worked in a uh, like a fitness club, Nautilus Fitness Club selling memberships another summer two of my friends who were college football players were working at a moving company i went and lifted furniture all day for three months and so i've never had a uh you know i'm going to go sit at home and you know live off my laurels kind of attitude it's just not in my dna and so i go to work every day you know what you're sharing what you're sharing is really a recipe for success that transcends generations it doesn't matter if you were you know millennial or you were a baby boomer or whatever it's a, it it's kind of common sense it's kind of common sense the best of human nature to make the most of whatever your skill and your talent is mm-hmm. and i hope i hope the kids today are are following suit too. I know I know a lot of kids do, but I'm afraid a lot of them aren't because of sort of what you said earlier about sitting back and taking the taking the uh uh the unemployment money and whatnot. Although I shouldn't say that because probably some of them really desperately needed it. You know, I I I I, th- I have other friends who man, they needed it. They needed it bad, but again, if I was put in a position and I could make $3,000 a month sitting at home or $2,800 a month working, I know where I'd be. Well, I agree. And I can say from my own personal experience, kids that I know are working two and three jobs. Here in the radio station at uh, KLIA, many of the people here are working two, three, four different jobs, including my producer here who who just got laid off from a restaurant in addition to his work here in the studio so you're right. Ingenuity, hard work really matters. And I really appreciate your saying how much money you made as a hockey player and you're still being willing to not just say, okay, I've made plenty of money so I don't need to get another summer job and lift furniture. I mean, that says a whole lot. Yeah, and, you know, I learned that, you know, my father in the, in the 50s was one of the higher paid players in the NHL. <laughs> and this is going back a lot of years, but... I mean, he was making fifteen grand a year for six months' work, right? Plus other benefits. Every summer when he went home, he went and built. Uh, my uncle was a custom home builder, and my dad picked up his toolkit. And every summer, that's what he did. Just it was just part of his DNA growing up in a farm in Saskatchewan. Jerry, we didn't. He was raised. Jerry, we didn't get to talk about sage, which I want to talk about. And we also didn't get to talk about um, your book much. Unfortunately, our time is up. Share a little bit about the book before we have to say goodbye, but then I want to get you to come back on in a few weeks, and and let's talk some more. Absolutely. But let's let's plug the book before I have to let you go. So plug the book. So I wrote the book because I wrote it down when I sold my first company in March of 1999. And, you know, 
made the money I thought I'd always make in business the first time, I, I wrote down that I was going to write a book. I actually wrote three things down, and the book came third. <laughs> and so two years ago, I decided to pick it back up. I had the format for it, and I just wanted to share something with high school students, college students, people starting out in business, or even experienced business people. It was like a playbook that they could use. And if somebody reads it and takes five to ten things away that they can use in their business or or even in their personal life to help them become better citizens, husbands, fathers, um, or be more successful in business, then I'll have accomplished something. The book is called Enforcer to Entrepreneur, Achieving Hockey Stick Growth in Life, Business, and Sports. Listeners to the conversation tonight, I guess you can go to Amazon.com or a, a site of your choosing and uh, check it out. Get a copy, Enforcer to Entrepreneur by Jerry Rollins. Jerry, thanks so much for coming on tonight in San Diego. We really learned a lot and uh, enjoyed having you. Bruce, I've enjoyed our time. Thank you so much. Very good. And all the best. Stay safe, man. Take care. Yeah, bye-bye. Okay, people, this is Bruce Cook. We're going to take our half-hour break. When we come back, we're changing gears big time. But you better stay with me because we are really going to dig into this immigration situation that has divided our country so horribly. We will be right back. Angels Radio, AM 830. If the woman you love, your mom, wife, daughter, sister, partner, or friend, is on a downward spiral from substance abuse and doesn't know where to turn, New Directions for Women can help. It's a Costa Mesa-based addiction treatment facility that has the answer. Since 1977, New Directions for Women has helped more than 5,000 women change their lives, returning them to sobriety, healthy living, restoring love and hope, and providing dignity for them and for their families. Don't waste another day. The woman you love needs your help now. Call New Directions. The number is 888-786-0509. Once again, call 888-786-0509 or visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. That's New Directions for Women. They know recovery. You know what's not healthy? Stressing about work. Or maybe you're out of work. Stop. Hit reset. You can start a new life as an IT pro in as little as four months from the comfort of your own home, even if you have zero computer experience. Go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. Live online classes meet just twice a week. Financial aid, including the GI Bill, is available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Home run number 300 for Mike Trout. 2020 was a season unlike any other, full of firsts and milestones. If you'd missed any of the big moments, Angels Rewind will take you back. Whether it's Joe Adele's Major League debut. Welcome to the show, Joe Adele. Or another record-breaking at-bat for Albert Pujols. The legend of Albert Pujols. Is queued up and ready to roll. Angels Rewind, Tuesday nights at 6 on Fox Sports West. 
If the woman you love, your mother, wife, daughter, sister, partner, or friend is on a downward spiral from substance abuse and doesn't know where to turn, let us help. New Directions for Women, a Costa Mesa-based addiction treatment facility, has the answer. Since 1977, we have helped over 5,000 women change their lives, returning them to sober, healthy living, restoring love, hope, and dignity to them and their families. Don't wait another day. The woman you love needs your help now. Call us at 888-786-0509 or visit us at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. Again, 888-786-0509. New Directions for Women. We know recovery. Angels Radio. AM 830. Hi, it's Bruce Cook, and I'm back. This is the Cook Conversation tonight on Angels Radio AM 830. We're also on every podcast you can imagine, so please listen to us there, too, if you have the time. My next guest, Laz Ayala, has been on this show before, and I had to have him back because I remember so, so clearly when we talked before the election this year how passionate he was about the problems in the arena of immigration. He himself, a Salvadorian in doc, a non-documented person who came to this country as a young person and has made a life for himself here, he has a unique unique and special view on the situation. And tonight, we're going to hear the bottom line truth and get right to the, the core of, of the situation as seen by somebody who knows it better than most. Because most Americans who are so divided on this and divided on the wall and divided on rights for immigrants and DACA see it as black and white. And you're going to learn in a few minutes how non-black and white it really is. Laws, are you there? I'm here, Bruce. Good, Good to be with you again. Thank you for coming on the show. You're very blunt, and I used this at the beginning of the show uh, in teasing you for coming on at this second segment of the show. And I said that you're going to tell the listeners tonight that all the talk of the politicians, both Republican and Democrat, and including President-elect Biden— about what the immigrants want and what they need and how to deal with them is, quote-unquote, BS. What do you mean? Well, uh, Bruce, first of all, thank you for having me back on uh, your show. It's really an honor to be back with you. Uh, what do I mean by um, the term BS when I hear both Republicans and Democrats talk about immigration and, and their, and their uh, so-called solutions? Um, my argument has been made on both sides about solving uh, the issue of immigration, and we've heard for many years them talk about pa uh, path to citizenship, about comprehensive immigration reform, which to me both are terms uh, that lead to, to nothing. Uh, comprehensive immigration reform to me I, that I have to hear, it means solving all of the issues and uh, involving immigration. And what I've been saying for years now is that 
the topic, the issue of immigration has to be tackled incrementally. In other words, there is no um, one solution to solve all of the issues around immigration to solve the uh, issues for DACA drivers or the 11 million people living here or the refugees uh, or the guest workers that are much needed in this country. So we have to tackle it incrementally. And so what I've been advocating for is a an overhaul of our existing guest worker programs to allow foreign workers, vetted foreign workers, to come into the country to fill jobs that domestic workers will not do in agriculture, construction, hospitality. Currently, and, and this is uh, uh, an area where, where there is common ground with both Democrats and Republicans, but the issue has been historically that Democrats insist on a path to citizenship for guest workers. I just want to come here to work. They want to come here for economic opportunity. They have no desire to stay here. And so because they are, they have dug their heels on path to citizenship for people that don't want to live here, and of course Republicans uh, will not concede to that, uh, but yet there is agreement uh, on both sides that there is a need for foreign workers, that we don't want to have illegal employment happening in this country. There is agreement in, on both sides that we don't want uh, people coming here to be exploited, to be dehumanized and criminalized, that we want to create a dignified path, a legal and dignified path for people to come here to work, make some money, work two or three months, six months, whatever the case might be, return to their communities, and then the following year, if there's a need for their labor in the various industries that, uh, that depend on that labor, then we do an annual assessment of our uh, employment market in those industries and determine how many visas are needed, say, on a yearly basis, and allow these people to come back. And, and we already have a system that, uh, that allows for that, but it's a drop in the bucket, uh, really, uh, when it comes to the number of workers needed in those industries. Laws, laws I have to, in, let me yes. interrupt you, let me interrupt you. The main point that I'm hearing, which is a pretty astounding point that I think most people would be surprised at, is what you said, that many or most of these guest workers don't necessarily want citizenship. Why is that? Correct. That's a big deal because I would guess most Americans are assuming they all want to come here to be citizens so that they can live here and enjoy the benefits of the American culture and society. You're saying no. They just want to work, earn money, and go back to their own culture. That is absolutely true. Uh, most, I can tell you, 90%, 95% of undocumented immigrants living in this country today People who have been here for years, in some cases decades, they, if given the opportunity, will come here, work a few months, and return to their families. No one wants to leave their families behind, their culture, their communities, their parents, or their children. And, and that's what happens in, in, in almost every one of these cases, right? People leave their families, and once they're here undocumented, they can't go back. Why? So how do we fix it? Well, how do we fix it? How do we get people to realize what's going on? So the solution, frankly, is, is very simple. 
what we need is we need to overhaul our guest worker programs, our H2A, our H2B, which have to do with agriculture and reforestation and other guest worker programs to meet the demands of the economy, the needs of the industries that depend on these workers. That's the very first thing that we have to do. Remove some of the red, uh, some of the red tape, the bureaucracy, and um, and make it uh, more user friendly for the employer and for the worker. And the second piece, and and we have to have both pieces. The second part of that is to have eVerify enforcement, have tough enforcement of eVerify, make it mandatory across the land to discourage. Uh, the demand for illegal employment and exploitation and, and exploitation and of course uh, there would be no need for businesses to hire or, or for there to be demand for illegal employment if we provide a legal path for people to come here and if we provide a legal supply of, of workers laws i did a little research before coming on tonight to talk to you and i found out something that also was astounding to me. I had no idea, and maybe the listeners too when I share it, and I'd like you to comment on it and tell me if it's accurate information. What I learned was is that many of the people coming to California in particular to work the fields, the farms, the assumption is they are mostly Mexican people or they're from Central America and they speak either Spanish or some English. And I learned that these many, many, many of these workers do not speak Spanish and do not speak English. They're indigenous people from the communities in their countries where they have lived in small villages and they speak their own indigenous languages and some of them I've never heard of. So they come to this country and work the fields and they can't even speak Spanish. Yes, that is true, Bruce. There is a uh, population of uh, indigenous um, people who are brought here uh, or who come here on their own. And in many cases, they are brought here by uh, cartels, uh, uh, people, uh, gangs, organized crime who are exploiting uh, these individuals. Um, you know, bottom line is that the current system really is it's broken. It's not working for the country anymore. We're spending... Uh, some, 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 something around the a, a range of eight billion dollars a year in in annual uh, immigration enforcement. Most of that money is going into private detention facilities where we incarcerate people and hold them for months and sometimes years. Uh, who are just really coming here to meet a uh, demand of uh, a labor demand in our country? We need to create a more humane, legal, humane path for people to come here to work. Um, to have certain basic rights and allow them the opportunity to return to their communities. And I can tell you, I've talked to many of these workers who, who, who have been coming here for years under the guest worker program. I've interviewed many of them, and, uh, and they come year after year after year, and uh, every time their season is over, they go back to their families and then look forward to the following year to come back. They don't want to stay here. Let me, let me ask you a tough question about what you say, quote-unquote, the humanity of the situation. The This has been a big controversy in recent times with the, the children separated from parents and the fact that there are apparently quite a few young people and the government cannot connect them to parents. Do you think 
That is because they don't have parents or the parents wanted them to be here and they couldn't come. I mean, talk to me about that. What is your feeling on that situation? So there are two uh, uh, factors um, related to that. One is parents. Uh, there was a time where if you brought a minor along with you, uh, that gave the parent also entry into the country and uh, an opportunity to apply for political asylum. Uh, there was uh, a loophole, let's, let's say, in the system that it allowed for, for minors to, to uh, give them a, a better chance, of, I guess, to, to get that political asylum. So um, uh, once the word got out in uh, Central America and Mexico, parents started coming out here with their little ones. And, of course, we know what happens. Oftentimes they get separated. And then under the current administration, um, you know, that, that the enforcement uh, uh, change and the way that that was handled uh, was uh, very differently than, than the previous administration. So that ended up separating thousands of children, which but again, uh, these people are coming here not to settle. They're coming here to live in the shadows, to live undocumented, because that is the only option that is offered to them. If given that opportunity, I can tell you, those mothers and fathers would leave their children behind for a few months with mom or dad or grandparents, come up here, make their money, return to the communities without risking their lives, the lives of their children, or, or worse, separating um, you know, their children from their family, um, and, and uh, to live here, to continue to live here, even if they made it across the border, to continue to live here in the shadows and to be dehumanized and criminalized. Um, at the cost of, of billions of dollars to taxpayers. Let's take a break. I hate to do this, but we have to take a break, Laws. We'll be right back. I want to ask you about the wall. I want to ask you about so much more. We, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bruce Cook. This is The Conversation, and we will be right back. Radio AM 830. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this very well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and their families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, New Directions for Women has helped addicted women recover in a nationally recognized treatment facility in Costa Mesa. Their doors are wide open. It just takes the first step. Call New Directions for Women. The number is 888-786-0509. Again, 888-786-0509. You can also visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. New Directions for Women. They know recovery. Every day, friends, family, and neighbors struggle with emotional pain. For some, this can include thoughts of suicide. Though the warning signs can be subtle, they are there. Go to suicideispreventable.org and learn how to recognize the signs, start a conversation, and connect someone to help. You have the power to make a difference, the power to save a life. Learn more at suicideispreventable.org. Supported by the Orange County Healthcare Agency through the Mental Health Services Act. 
Happy holidays, folks. Colonel Snowman here to tell you about my piping hot KFC $20 fill-up with eight pieces of chicken or 12 tenders and all the fixings. It's an easy way to keep the family fed when you're too uh, uh, busy to cook. Wow, this KFC meal is piping hot, and I'm made of snow. Uh, try my KFC $20 fill-up. You can order ahead at KFC.com. Happy holidays from KFC. Limited time only at participating locations. Prices may vary. Tax and substitutions extra. Delivery service and additional fees apply. Angels Radio. AME 30. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Bruce Cook. The Bruce Cook Conversation. We're talking to Laz Ayala. We're talking about immigration and taking care of our people that have come here as guest workers. Laws, what do you think about the wall at this point with all that's going on and the change in in the uh, in the presidency that is upon us? What's going to happen with all that? Bruce, I uh, I mean, I, I, I don't have a, a problem with any country, you know, building a wall to secure their borders. Uh, I got no problem with that. But if uh, if our uh, expectation is that a wall will stop undocumented immigrants from coming into this country, um, then that is a false expectation. It won't. It won't. As long as there is demand for illegal employment on this side of the border, people will continue to come. Do you think that the the building of the wall and the maintaining of that uh, service has been humanitarian enough are there have there been problems what do you know uh you know bruce there's uh obviously there's a lot of uh, controversy i guess uh, uh, around the wall my focus on uh on this conversation on my efforts it's really around uh having discussions having conversations um focused on solutions on how can we how can we move away from a system of exploitation? How can we get away from a system of what I call modern-day slavery and create a path for people to come into the country um, legally, humanely, and, and to, for them to be given the opportunity to return to their communities in their you know, home countries, re- reunite with their families, come back and provide the much-needed labor that we have here in our uh, country, um, that you know, many industries depend on. So, in a, um, in a perfect world, you know, then, in a perfect world, if that were the case, you wouldn't need a wall. Exactly. Yes, we would not need a wall if we create a legal path for people to come here to work. And by the way, we're not the only country doing this. Every every uh, developed country in the world has a guest worker program where they bring in people from various parts of the world under a you know guest worker visa people work their season then return uh so this is not a uh anything anything new but uh and but i also believe that there's a lot of common ground on this topic uh with both major parties uh and i'm hoping that uh that they can um have this conversation and leave out you know some of the 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 traps you know that uh, you know that are typically in these conversations like path to citizenship or uh, uh, amnesty and and so on uh, that that prevent progress from, from happening. I know this is a small step. I know this will not solve all of the problems. Um, it's it's a it, it but it's 
it's it's uh, the fact that it's not perfect does not make it not good. It's progress, and it solves, I would say, a big part of the you know the issue of having to do with undocumented immigration. In our little bit of time left, I, I have to bring up the horrible situation with drugs and the cartels. It is a real issue. It is a an issue that has also enraged many people on both sides of the aisle in this country. How does that play into all of this, and how does that get controlled? Can it be controlled? Americans, unfortunately, have become drug addicted. Too many of our citizens are—it's almost like what you're talking about with the guest worker program— they're exploiting this. They're causing that the, these cartels, they have a market. How do we stop it? And is do you see this in the lexicon of what you're talking about of solving this immigration problem? Well, that's uh, that's another conversation. Uh, I can tell you that uh, the folks that are coming here to uh, to work, to fill those jobs that, that domestic workers are not able to fill out on the orchards, out on the farms, in the factories, uh, in restaurants, in in, uh, in you know housing developments, those people are not coming here to uh, traffic drugs, to sell drugs. They're coming here to work. They're coming here to do legal and and uh, and uh, um, you know uh, work that uh, that it needs to be done. Uh, um, uh, the the cartels and the drug issue, you know, those guys will continue to find ways to get drugs here one way or the other, uh, wall or no wall. As long as there's demand for um, illegal drugs on this side of the border, they will find a way. Um, but I I have to say that uh, the, the the people that are coming here to, uh, to work, uh, they're not the ones bringing those drugs. Um, they're, in, in, in many cases, they're actually victims of those same cartels because uh, smuggling people, it's also a very lucrative business that is exploited by the same cartels. What do you say to Americans that that raise their voices very strongly that problems within the Hispanic and the Latinx community in terms of gang violence has been exacerbated to extreme levels, especially in major cities across the United States, and that it is tearing societies apart? What about those people? How do we deal with that, Laws? You know, uh, the statistics that I've read, uh, you know, the reports that I've read um, show that, uh, in fact, uh, crime rates in uh, immigrant communities and crimes uh, rates uh, committed by by uh, undocumented immigrants is actually lower than crimes committed by domestic or, you know, uh, U.S. citizens or legal residents. I would say that it is, that is a... Uh, uh, a false, uh, false narrative. While it is true that uh, you know that uh, undocumented workers and uh, immigrants uh, uh, commit crimes, uh, they don't commit them commit crimes at a higher rate than say U.S. citizens. But what would you say to uh, to someone that said even one crime, one murder, one whatever is too many from an illegal person? Who is taking advantage of being in this country? How do you how do you answer that? Because that is that voice has been raised a lot. Sure, well, I think the uh, again uh, we, uh, because 
uh, of our human nature, and, and uh, people are going to sometimes uh, do uh, things that are not legal or illicit activities. Uh, I would rather know who is in on this in this in, in the country, know who is living here, uh, be able to track those people down, as opposed to having 11 million people living in a country that we don't know who they are, where they are, where they came from, and have no uh, record of them. I would rather, I would much rather create a legal path uh, that allows these people to come, know who, you know, who are vetted, who, who, who are registered, who are tracked, uh, and who will very likely return to their communities. They will not stay. People oftentimes end up getting into criminal activities through booths because oftentimes they're denied opportunity and they're denied access and they're, they're, they're in a way trapped here. And they're living in the shadows. And so that tends to also promote uh, a level of, uh, of criminal activity. If Got people it. People are, have no, no, no options. They're living in the shadows, um, you know, and they have no opportunity and they're living here for decades oftentimes. Uh, then oftentimes I think they're also, in a way, forced by society to participate in in the dark world. All right. Well, we've got to stop there, I'm afraid. Our time is up. Let me plug you about Laws Ayala and what he's trying to do to resolve and change our immigration situation. You've got to check out the book. It's called Illegal. It's also a documentary. Uh, Laws, where can they find it? The documentary is currently playing at various film festivals throughout the country, including various festivals in Southern California. I suggest your audience uh, that they uh, visit uh, illegaltheproject.org. Uh, there they will find a schedule of uh, screenings that are taking place at, again, at various film festivals throughout the country. And hopefully this summer the film will be in uh, mainstream platforms, hopefully Netflix or HBO. So keep your eyes out for it. Great. Thank you so much for your insight tonight. We appreciate it your passion, and your intelligence. Thank you, Laws Ayala. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening tonight to The Cook Conversation on Angels Radio. And again, make sure you check it out on podcast too. That's it for tonight, everybody. Stay safe. Come back again next Sunday night at 6. I'm Bruce Cook, and it's an honor to have you join me in the conversation. You've been listening to The Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear The Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public.